0: Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Dan Pfeiffer. Hey, Dan. How's Good going? to have you down here in L.A. Me. I haven't seen you guys in 72 hours. <laughs> yeah,
1: Dan is
2: sick
0: of our faces. <laughs> no, We're not sick of his, that's for sure. Uh, on today's show, we got a big election day for Democrats to talk about and a somewhat meaningless debate for Republicans uh, who are vying for second place in the uh, GOP <laughs> primary. The 2023 elections were excellent for Democrats and those of us who want to keep abortion legal. In Ohio, two ballot measures, one to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution and the other to legalize marijuana, both passed by a margin of 57 to 43 percent. In Virginia, Democrats held the state Senate and flipped the state house, which means Glenn Youngkin will not be able to pass the 15-week abortion ban that he and Republican candidates campaigned on. And in deep red Kentucky, pro-choice Democratic Governor Andy Beshear defeated anti-abortion extremist Daniel Cameron by 53 to 48 percent. Democrats came up short in the Mississippi governor's race, but only by about five points. Uh, We also picked up a state Supreme Court seat in Pennsylvania and a few more seats in the Democratic-controlled New Jersey legislature. As you can imagine, most of these results gave the pundits on Fox and Newsmax a case of the sads. You know, ever since Roe v. Wade was overturned, Pretty much every time the Democrats have run on abortion, they have won. And was last night at a harbinger for 2024, as you were uh, alluding to, Ainsley? Absolutely. Most
2: people that are Republicans are probably pro-life. Right. But what's most important? Mm-hmm. Republicans uh, taking over and Republicans being able to, to keep our country.
1: What a uh, an epic failure by Governor Youngkin. This is a huge loss.
2: It, it does seem like the, the Republican Party generally has a real problem with Uh, with winning and you put very sexy things like abortion and marijuana on the ballot and a lot of young people come out and vote thank goodness that most of the states in this country don't allow you to put everything on the ballot because pure democracies are not the way to run a country (laughs) that
0: was rick santorum the uh the winner of the 2012 republican iowa caucuses yeah
1: have you guys noticed that that Steve Ducey has been the voice of reason on Fox and yeah, Friends well, yeah, a lot there. Okay, Clip that. Yeah, clip, I'll, put that I, out,
0: Dan. I'm just telling it to you straight. <laughs> to people at home. I love the uh, I love the hot take on Newsmax. Republicans have seem to have a problem with winning. They sure do, Rick Santorum. Uh, Rick Santorum. Democracies are the problem. It's like we're getting that message from the Republicans, <laughs> and they have
1: uh, a plan to solve yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say we have.
0: <laughs> we hear you loud and clear. Um, so it seems like the big headline out of Tuesday is that wherever abortion access is on the ballot, choice wins. Dan, is that your takeaway? Did you have other big takeaways from the night before we get into each state? That That is the takeaway. It is
2: clear that abortion, which was for decades the single most polarizing partisan issue in American politics, is now actually transcended partisanship. You have the Democratic governor of Kentucky, a state that Donald Trump won by 26 points campaigning on stopping abortion bans, who ran an incredibly powerful ad opposing abortion bans without exception. You see it across the board in all of these states. In Ohio, the initiative to amend the Constitution to protect abortion rights did better in almost every single county than Joe Biden did in 2020. It is a tremendously powerful and galvanizing issue. remains so today, 18 months after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which is sort of stunning in our you know, attention span of an amoeba media culture we live in. And I think we will look back. There are certain things in history that fundamentally shift the way politics are conducted, that change electoral coalitions in real ways. And I think the over, Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade is one of those things that has changed politics. And republicans. It doesn't mean the Democrats will win every single time, but it means that politics is different today than it was before that day, because an unelected su- Supreme Court Took away a constitutional right from more than half of this country, and that is not something that has happened in American history.
0: Yeah, and there were there were I saw a few takes before these elections that were like, will abortion still have the same power it had in the 2022 midterms and some of these specials? And by all accounts, it sure did.
1: Well, in, in, in uh, Mississippi, Presley, the Democrat, was not pro-choice, and he lost.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. And that is something that you can look at. When you, one of the things going into this election that we were worried about was we had this election in Louisiana where Democrats did terribly across the board, mm. had low turnout, didn't get to 30 percent in most of the statewide races. And the question was, we all, even though we'd all agreed to never speak of that, was, <laughs> was that a warning sign that the sort of Democratic enthusiasm, the anti maga majority had finally succumbed to the political gravity that we see from traditional political gravity from presidential approval ratings, people's opinions of the economy? And that was a state where abortion was not the issue that is elsewhere, because the incumbent outgoing Democratic governor
0: was anti-choice. Right. Let's talk about a few of the big races. In 2019, Andy Beshear barely won his first term as Kentucky governor by less than half a percentage point. Of course, it was an incumbent Republican governor at the time, Matt Bevin. In 2020, Trump won the state by 26 points. And now in 2023... Bashir wins a second term by five points. Tommy, uh, we were all in Louisville a few weeks ago, knocking on doors. Louisville. Louisville. Louisville, Uh, We're knocking on doors with Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Why do you think Bashir won?
1: Few reasons. One, because we knocked on doors. That's because
0: that was the answer I was hoping for. Because
1: Lovett chased down that woman with the golden doodle. One, (laughs) uh, two, it's really hard to beat an incumbent governor. Uh, the Cook Political Report said that only two incumbent governors have lost reelection since 2018, one of them was Bevan in Kentucky. Uh, in Bashir's case, he's also extremely popular. I think his approval rating was consistently in the 60s, which is insane to any of us who worked in uh, national politics. Most popular governor in America, yeah. He's also the son of a previous two term popular governor that helps. Um, he is seen as competent, uh, empathetic, approachable by by voters. They all just call him Andy. He did a great job responding to COVID and all these natural disasters that were hitting the state. I saw Nate Cohn, I believe, at the New York Times. Suggest that Bashir actually did better in counties that had been hit hard by flooding, which is, speaks to
0: maybe the response. Uh, he, I, 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 we we heard that from people in Louisville. I don't know if you guys yep. were with. I don't Louisville. know who it was. I can't Louisville. remember Louisville. Oh no, I can't remember who it was. But some people who live there were saying that he said so we've been through a lot in the last couple of years, yep. disaster wise, and Tornadoes, he's just he's just flooding. been there. Yep. And, yep, and he's been there for the whole state, and everyone sort of like rallied together
1: for sure. As you guys mentioned, he ran hard on abortion rights. I do think his opponent, Daniel Cameron made it easier to run that kind of campaign because Cameron had an extreme position on abortion that made him susceptible to that messaging. But also, Bashir was smart. He ran a Kentucky-focused campaign. Uh, He did not allow it to get nationalized. Uh, He talked In his victory speech, he talked about how he campaigned with Jack Harlow, who's from Kentucky, not Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's from Arkansas. Bashir also hammered Cameron on school vouchers and then organized labor loves Bashir. The president of the UAW Local 862 said about Bashir, quote, I take a bullet for him. He's that important to the families of my union. Wow. He also, yeah, I mean that's a hell of a quote. Yeah. Uh, he also raised a lot more money than his opponent, so just all around a hell of a
0: candidate, hell of a governor, hell of a campaign. So Bashir, twenty twenty eight. That's what
1: people are saying. That's what
0: oh, many people are saying. Many people are tweeting. <laughs> that's great. It's great. It's good news for uh, good news for Kentucky. Good news for Andy Bashir. Virginia Democrats were predicted to hold the state senate. The state house was seen as a toss up. Glenn Youngkin. Went all in to get his trifecta. Uh, his pack spent nearly $8 million on these races, including half a million of his own cash, which he's rich enough that that doesn't seem actually so much. Four
1: of that was on vests, <laughs>
0: unfortunately. <laughs> campaigned all across the state, campaigned specifically on a 15 week abortion ban. By presenting it as some kind of a compromise, that was the big. Gra- that was the re- the Republican geniuses think that the 15-week abortion ban. This is what Lindsey Graham tried to do in the yep, Senate too. They yep. think this is the this is the solution for Very them, the, their political solution. Uh, did not work in Virginia. Dan, what's your takeaway? And does this mean the Yunkin as 2024 GOP savior boomlet is finally over? I know I tried to start that boomlet. I know you did. I know I was I was I was wondering if you'd remember <laughs> your <laughs> what take. Did- I remember all my takes (laughs) and I just hope others don't.
2: (laughs) I think it's probably the end of the at least the 2024 Youngkin boomlet. What is interesting here is the Republicans in that state ran ahead of Trump in 2020, but behind Youngkin in 2021. So
0: that's a little little one piece of news that isn't quite as good as all the rest. When I dug into that, I was like, oh, they all ran mm, ahead of Trump. Well,
2: look, Virginia is a purple state that's pretty close to blue. And just across the board, demographically, it models very well with the post-Trump Democratic coalition. It is a high turnout state because of, because of for that very reason. And so, it's one where Democrats should do well. But the fact that Democrats did well with a president of their own party in the White House is a huge aberration. It's been it's very rare. Virginia always has these off-cycle elections, and yeah. it usually just how won in the first place. Exactly. Usually, the the party of the president fares poorly in that time, and so this is a huge exception. And that says. I think a lot about the power of abortions we're talking about, and also the failure of this Republican strategy. Because I think this is these elections are testing grounds for the national parties, particularly in Virginia, about what messages work and what don't. This was the test. If that had worked here, it would be every Republican would be adopting it by the end of by time you hear this podcast. That did not happen, and that says a lot about how far the Republicans have to go to solve their abortion problem, which may be frankly insoluble given Donald Trump's role on this. The their long history on it. And that's a positive sign for Democrats.
0: I just saw before we started recording, J.D. Vance say, uh, we got to try for this 15-week abortion ban because of what happened. And like that's that's the key. And it's like, uh, have you looked at the real, did you just see what happened to Glenn Youngkin and, and I, Republicans in Virginia?
1: I think you probably can't overstate how big of a tactical error it was for Youngkin to come out for the 15-week abortion ban. If he had not proactively proposed that, there wouldn't have been much for Democrats to run against. If they'd run some boring, bland, sort of economic-focused, inflation-focused campaign, they very likely would have done better and potentially have won. But but giving Democrats this, this 15-week ban to rally against was an enormous shot in the arm. Yeah, And Youngkin has national ambitions, and it'd be very hard for a Republican governor in a post-Dobbs world to
2: not advance some sort of ban. So he was trying to split the difference between being seen as a rhino and a six-week ban. And that obviously did not work as voters understand what is at stake here and they and they see
0: through the bullshit. And you can tell that's why Donald Trump and all these other Republican candidates have been have been so squirrely on a national ban and said things like Oh, well, I don't, I mean, whatever comes to me, you know, maybe I'll sign or else, but it's not, it's never going to get that far. Or, worse. Trump said, I'm just going to make the best deal. I'm going to make the best deal on abortion. Uh, yep. Because, you know, Youngkin did this and it didn't work out too well for him.
1: Trump is dumb in a lot of ways. A lot of things he says are very stupid. But, Politically on this issue, he's been very savvy in terms of just not letting this primary drag him further to the right on an issue that he knows is, is toxic for him. And, you know, the, the, it's just worth pointing out that the Democrats in the state ran on keeping abortion legal through 26 weeks and then the third trimester allowing abortion access if you've got three referrals from three different doctors. So incredibly onerous requirement for the third trimester, but they did try to put some constraints on abortion access, which is worth mentioning.
2: I just think it's important that every single Democrat who's running for office, who is talking to voters, assert that Republicans, if they get a trifecta, are going to pass a national abortion. Ban. Absolutely. There is no way that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Speaker Mike Johnson, of all people, are not sending a national abortion ban to Donald Trump's desk. And there is no way he's not signing that.
1: No doubt.
0: Well... I I don't care how many Pinocchio someone gives you or that that is reality. No, let's dig into it. Like to think that that wouldn't happen. You would have to believe that either that Mitch McConnell would save the filibuster if he has the Senate. Right. If he has a Republican Senate would save the filibuster and then say no abortion ban because I'm keeping the filibuster or Mitch McConnell, who is like a lot of Republicans in his caucus now aren't really where Mitch McConnell is. Like he's like the rhino Republican. And we think that if Republicans take the Senate, In 2024, and there'll be even more crazy Trumpy Republicans there, like, will Mitch McConnell even be majority leader at that
2: point? I think there's a good chance Mitch McConnell doesn't run for majority leader again.
0: That's what, yeah, and then the next person is going to be a a MAGA person, and of course they're going to get rid of the filibuster. Mitch McConnell was, like, like pretending that he was going to hold on to the filibuster, maybe because he thinks of himself as some institutionalist, but, like... I don't see this as a possibility. I don't care if you you're right. Like, even if you go fact check this, like it's it's just it takes a lot to believe that they would preserve the filibuster and not pass a national abortion.
2: The most likely person to be Senate majority leader, if it is not Mitch McConnell, is John Thune. I worked on two campaigns against John Thune in South Dakota
0: Mm.
2: a long long time ago, and he's about as far right on abortion as it gets. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so Ohio, in the 2022 midterms, Tim Ryan lost the Ohio Senate race to J.D. Vance by about six points. One year later, one year later, the voters have guaranteed abortion rights and legalized marijuana, Fifty-seven forty-three. Tommy, what do you think's going on in Ohio? And uh, does this give you more hope that Sherrod Brown could pull out another win in 2024?
1: So this result was driven by very strong Democratic turnout. I think I read that self-reported Biden voters in the exit polls uh, outnumbered Trump voters by two points. But again, this is a, a state Trump won by eight points. However, it was low turnout generally. Uh, 3.86 million ballots were cast on issue one compared to point one four, 4. million votes in that Senate race, the Tim Ryan Senate race last year. So Low turnout, but lots of Democrats. The margin of victory was driven by really strong support from women, 63% of whom voted yes. Uh, black voters, 83% voted yes. Latino voters, 73% voted yes. And then young voters, nearly 80% of voters 18 to 29 voted yes, as opposed to only 45% of voters 64 or older. It was also driven by college graduates, unmarried people. So you know, in addition to this just being a really strong Democratic turnout, uh, there's a broader coalition of support for abortion rights than there was for Tim Ryan or for Democrats on the ballot usually, right? I mean, issue one did better than Ryan did with unmarried men, Trump voters, independents and moderates. I think if anyone can recreate that group of excited Democrats turning out and able to persuade traditional conservatives, it is someone like Sherrod Brown. I do think, though, the electorate is going to be completely different in 2024. I think I read that the electorate is likely to be 60 to 90 percent higher, larger in 2024 than it was this cycle. So it's going to be really tough an election year to win Ohio. But Sherrod's the kind of candidate that can do it.
0: Yeah, it's like another two million voters in Ohio over the midterms. Yeah, it was, six, it was
2: almost six million voters in
0: 2020. Yeah. I mean, it also... By the way, the much maligned uh, New York Times poll, which we'll get to. Oh, please! Uh, in that poll, it has forty percent of Trump voters saying that abortion should be always or mostly legal, and I think that also helps explain there was eighteen counties in Ohio that uh, voted for Trump and that also voted for this uh, abortion amendment. Now, some of that is turnout differential, right? Because so you look at a county like that, like a Trump county, and it's only Democrats in that county turned out for the abortion access. Uh, That's possible. But the New York Times poll also suggests that there are some Trump voters, which Trump obviously knows, who like Trump and will vote for Trump, but also want to protect abortion access, which, again, voters are fucking weird. I've said it a million times.
1: 24% of white evangelicals (laughs) voted yes on issue one.
0: Wow. According to exit polls.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes you wonder if part of the messaging is uh, is
0: libertarian as well, and just sort of yeah. like keeping these decisions away from the government. Of course, the Ohio legislature uh, already is saying that they're going to try to overturn the will of the voters on both weed and abortion. Shocker. Please don't do that on the
2: November 2024 ballot. Yeah, don't, right.
0: don't.
1: And, and by the way, the marijuana referendum was a total afterthought. I was talking, when we were in Cleveland, we were talking to some folks, you know, some elected, some folks of the state party. They were like not focused on this at all. It just kind of got tossed on the ballot by I think a different group of activists and organizers, and it just got you know pulled over the line, I think.
0: I was reading that because it's not uh, obviously an amendment like the abortion amendment is, it could be easier for the Republican legislature to screw with the marijuana measure by just like reappropriating funds and passing some law uh, than it will be with the abortion amendment. It's much harder to screw with the constitutional amendment, though they claim they're going to try. So, of course. Yeah. Speaking of 2024, There has been a lively debate on the Internet and cable news about what these results might mean for Joe Biden's re-election campaign. Our friends at Playbook laid out the two theories of the case, as only they can do. Theory one is called time to chill out. Polls are one thing. Actual votes are another. These are not election returns consistent with Biden's 40 percent approval ratings. Bashir won despite tons of GOP money that was spent trying to tie him to Biden. So there's plenty of room for the incumbent to recover. That's the theory that the, the Biden campaign likes. We've been seeing that online uh, a lot, too. Theory two is called time to freak out. The polls are absolutely right. The problem isn't the Democratic brand. It's Joe Biden. The anti MAGA coalition that showed up in 2018, 2020, and 2022 is still intact, but it's not going to show up for just anybody. Trump will bring his voters out next year, and Americans are giving every possible signal that they won't be happy if the alternative is Biden. Dan, what do you think? you got to pick one. The, there is no nuance. No, You're, Dan, pick one. Like everything <laughs> this else is playbook. Today, We're playing playbook rules, binary. Dan. There, you, is, there is black and white, left and right. That's it.
2: I love the choices are everything is fine. Do not worry or everything is doomed. <laughs> give up. There is nothing in the middle. There is so much to say about this. Mm-hmm. I just want to start by trying to explain how it is possible that Joe Biden could be behind tied with or behind Donald Trump in several swing states. And at the exact same moment, Democrats can win huge victories in states like Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia. And here is why. I think it's a very simple explanation, which is the voters that Joe Biden is having the most trouble with right now are less engaged voters. They're the voters who did not show up. So in the New York Times-Siena polling, the, this analysis that Nate Cohn did, Prior to this most recent poll, in all of their polling to date, prior to this one, Joe Biden is up by four points among people who voted in the 2018 election. He is down by several points with people who did not vote in the 2018 election. The turnout in 2024 is likely to be 30 to 40 percent higher than it was in 2022. So a whole bunch of people who are telling pollsters that they are currently not happy with Joe Biden did not turn out on Tuesday, did not turn out in 2022, but are gonna return, yeah, to return to
0: turn out in 2018.
2: Yeah, they're gonna return to electoral. We are now the part, Democrats are now the party of the most highly engaged voters. And the because of the changes in the media environment, particularly since 2020, the chasm between the highly engaged voters and everyone else has never been
0: greater. Yeah. And so that that is why it is possible. This is the entire theme of the last season of The Wilderness, in case you want to go check it out. (laughs) And I could like- Going to plug in. What else we got? (laughs) Message Uh, box. There's also several, I I have a
2: a fury-fueled message box on this coming out tomorrow. Uh Uh, But so the point here is, special elections, particularly off-cycle elections like this, are not great predictors of what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. We'll take the example of, in 2012, Democrats tried to recall Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker was walker easily won that election easily defeated the recall only a few months before president obama was going to take on Mitt romney in that state obama then won wisconsin by seven points because the turnout was massively higher
0: wisconsin aka paul ryan's home state okay okay. it was on the ticket
2: yes that's right (laughs) exactly thank you i didn't feel like i needed to say that but thank you (laughs) but it doesn't mean that there are there isn't relevant information in what happened. Like what, everything that happened yesterday first is good for America. It's good for the people of those States. There are people whose lives are saved because these abortion bans will not go into place.
0: Yeah, which is why we started with all that. Right. And there, <laughs> that's the most important thing. And, last
2: right. And if, and if Glenn Youngkin had gotten his trifecta, a whole bunch of really terrible gun laws would have been passed yeah. in Virginia. And that did not happen. But so that, that's point one point two is that it's also what is evidence of some good news for Democrats of what to look at, right? It isn't, it's not a predictor, but it is an indicator. And some of the good news in there is one, as we've talked about, abortion is still the number one issue. That is very important, right? That That is a, that is wind at Joe Biden's
0: back. Two. Well, the, not the number, well, for the electorate that showed up and for a good chunk of the Democratic Party, it is an extremely salient issue. But if
2: you look at the Democratic voters that Joe Biden is currently struggling with, abortion is a huge issue for them. For them. yes. Yeah, so, that means there's work to do there, right? That's how we should view these polls. as a roadmap of who the voters we have to talk to and how we have to convince them. And to abortion is going to be a hugely important issue to reconstitute the 2020 elect coalition that elected Joe Biden. Two, and I think this is really important, is that turnout is not an accident, right? These election victories are not just the result of some sort of rule about who can vote and who can't. It's the Democratic campaign machinery is working. Yeah, And it is kicking Republican asses left and right. And that is important. The other thing is, and this is not getting enough attention, and you could write, Donald Trump is winning in that New York Times poll in those swing states, but there's a lot of stuff underneath. And you guys talked about some of this in the Tuesday podcast that should be very alarming for Donald Trump and Republicans. They are terribly divided on abortion. They're terribly divided on Donald Trump, who is actually less popular than Joe Biden.
0: Yeah. Even in that poll. Even in that poll. Within his own party's voters. Yes. Yeah.
2: And the other thing is really important and this played out in a lot of these a lot of these races around the country is Donald Trump is forcing at political gunpoint a series of Republican candidates to adopt his lies on the 2020 election, which kills them with huge swaths of voters. And that is going to happen up and down the ballot in 2024 if Donald Trump's nominee,
0: which in Tuesday night's results, Republican secretary of state candidate in Kentucky was the only one on the ticket only statewide candidate to like reject election denial. And he's the secretary of state and like ran on that. And he did better than every other Republican on the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. So once again, election. denial.
1: I mean, interestingly, look, if you, if you locked a bunch of nerds in a room and you gave half of them, I mean like what we just did right here? Well, what we're currently doing. Yes, exactly. uh, if you locked a bunch of nerds in the room and you gave them the only locked? the polling potentially uh, about these races, these results are not surprising. If you locked those same nerds in a room and gave them, Joe Biden's approval rating in all these other states and told them it was an off-year midterm election, these results would be very surprising, right? So that, this is the kind of disconnect we're, we're trying to work through. I think the challenge for Biden in that New York Times poll is that a lot of the problems were specific to him, in particular age and concerns about his handling of the economy. And then if you look at the crosstabs, he has particular challenges with young voters and voters of color. Maybe it's the case that if the 2024 campaign is all about abortion rights, that that issue can bring back those young voters and those voters of color and get them to turn out uh, and not stay home. And that's how you make up the difference in that Times poll and you win reelection. But I don't think that's a guarantee. I think obviously that the Biden campaign has a lot of agency here. This is going to be something they focus on. But the the other challenge is, as you said before, Dan, the electorate is going to be incredibly different in 2024. You're going to have a lot of kind of disaffected, less engaged voters. They tend to vote against incumbents, especially when they're super pissed off. And one thing we know from every poll is that the wrong track number is at like 70%. It's historically high. And that's a really challenging setup for an incumbent president going into a re-election.
0: I brought up the wilderness, not just for the plug, but because but I... also for the plug. For, Also for the plug. Mostly for the plug. But also when I saw the New York Times poll, and I've seen other polls since then, like it brought me back to the focus groups that I did for the wilderness. And at the outset, I thought that the... I did a focus group in Virginia of Biden voters who then switched to Yunkin. And I was like, oh, those are going to be the the tough voters because they voted Republican. Those were the people who were most like oh, I did it for whatever reason. I'll come back to Biden. I still like the Democrats. I'm pro-choice. They were the best, the, the Pennsylvania voters who were like slightly disaffected. They were all like ready for Fetterman, all that kind of stuff. The the voters that were most disappointed in Biden, that were crankiest, were the young voters in California, the black voters in Atlanta, yeah. and the Hispanic voters in Las Vegas. The very groups <laughs> that Joe Biden's having a problem with. And then I talked to, like a ton of strategists and pollsters in the party who all agreed that this is <laughs> this is the issue. So this is not like Nate Cohn in the New York Times and some media pollsters doing this. These are like Democratic Party strategists, all know this. <laughs> John De La Volpe, Joe Biden's, pol- one of his pollsters in 2020, just had an op-ed in the New York Times that says Joe Biden's in trouble about young voters. So Linda Lake has been talking about needing to reconstitute, uh, who's another pollster that we've had on this podcast and who also has worked for Joe Biden. She's talked about it too. So this is not like... And I'm not saying this to like freak people out, right? Like Joe Biden, we want him to win. We will do everything we can to get him to win. Like I still think he can win. I think there's a clear path for victory here. But like I don't think it does anyone any good to just sit there and be like, "Uh, oh, the media said red wave and they're wrong again." And every time that every time there's an election, they just prove the media wrong and all the pundits and blah blah, blah. it's like, "No, actually the polls have been right every single special election and midterm now for the last several cycles, where they've been off of the presidential races, which by the way, are the races that have this completely different, bigger electorate, which is harder to measure in polls. And which way have they been off, John, in the presidential races? <laughs> yeah, they've been yeah, more they've been more way. favorable to Democrats.
1: Yeah, copium is not a good drug to get hooked on. No one <laughs> should. None of us want to repeat this mistake to 2016. So no no one's trying to bum anybody out or suppress turn. I mean I do under like I understand why you know, Biden's Supporters are kind of taking a victory lap and, and dunking on people who are critical of him because, you know, you it's get in jobs, I get you it. care deeply about your candidate, and you want to push back. But, you know, I think we all should be clear. eyed No one wants to repeat mistakes we all made in 2016 of thinking there's no way we could lose. One last thing. Just how nice was it to not have anyone contesting the results of the election? Even the craziest right-wingers. Like, nobody was, like, yeah, that's that I saw I was saying that, that they're the, – like, Cameron was, like –
0: Let's all pray for Bashir. They're
2: all saving it up for 2024. Yeah. Also, when you lose by five points, it's hard to contest
1: it. <laughs> don't, don't I tell will... Donald Trump that.
0: I'll say one more thing about this pool of voters who are going to show up in the general election that have not uh, in the presidential election that have not shown up in these specials and midterms. Like if you look at the New York Times polling and, and Nate Cohn says this in his piece today, the folks who showed up for these 2023 off year elections are like the Democrats that showed up are pretty favorable towards Biden. You brought up the Ohio exit poll that's plus two Biden. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's – there are specific problems that Biden might have. But what I get nervous about is not just – Problems that Biden may have. But like this pool of voters, this disaffected pool of voters, they're more moderate. They are younger. They're voters of color. They're um, they they sort of more cynical about politics and institutions. They're harder to reach. They don't consume as much news. They're harder to reach with ads. Like I just worry about them long term for the party because it's much e- I think it is easier for republicans to make a case like aren't you pissed about shit and don't you want to like tear institutions down that aren't? like it's just it's a longer term issue that i actually worry about that goes beyond joe biden
2: yeah i mean we talked about this after 2020 there were obviously very troubling signs among black voters and latino voters uh younger voters without college educations across the board and there was a big sigh of relief after 2022 but it, we didn't really test the proposition because the voters we're most concerned about did not vote in that election. They are right. not midterm voters. And so we don't know. Like this poll is consistent with the New York Times poll is consistent with that trend continuing.
0: Right. And we'll we'll see. Look, it's it's possible that a good chunk of these disaffected voters don't show up in the presidential. That's also bad. Which is bad, bad for us. democracy. But also the electorate then could possibly look more like a, a midterm election.
2: Absolutely. That low turnout? (laughs) I am not I'm
0: not (laughs) I am not rooting for low turnout. (laughs) But I'm just saying we don't there's different scenarios where it's gonna be okay for Democrats, right? But it all depends on the shape of the electorate is our point here. It depends on which apples to oranges comparisons to just say the media said this in twenty two and red wave here. It's like a presidential electorate is so, so, so different from midterm electorate.
2: We just used to live in a world, and this was true when under President Obama and previous Democrats was Midterms were bad for Democrats. Presidential years were better. And that has shifted under Trump. That has fundamentally shifted.
0: And the reason it has is because college-educated older voters, whiter voters, used to be heavily Republican. And that has changed in the Trump era. Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: And the last thing I'll say about this is this is very challenging in execution. But there has never been a race where it was more clear on how you win. The, you know exactly who the voters are. You know ex- how to, how you get them back is hard. But we do not have to go get a bunch of people who voted for Republicans in the midterms. Yeah. You don't have to get a bunch of people who voted for Trump in 2016 or voted for Trump in 2020. You just have to get the people who voted for Joe Biden in six states to do it again. And that that is not an easy thing to do, but it is a clear, clear path. And that means we actually have agency here.
0: Yeah. Right. right. And that is
2: a very, very powerful thing, which is why you can have some more confidence about Joe Biden's ability to win than the polls would necessarily suggest, because they are our voters we have to get back. They are not people who we we previously never had before.
0: And to get granular about it, like... It's everyone has people in their lives who are not political junkies like you all are (laughs) listening to the show. And these disaffected voters, they don't just like live in one place like they're they're all around us. (laughs) And I do think that is going to what's going to make the difference there is going out, talking to people, persuading people not being pissed off when someone just doesn't say like, oh, I'm, I might not vote and yelling at them for it. Like it, it's really going to take some some persuasive work. At every
2: live show Q&A thing we've ever done, people are saying, how do I talk to my MAGA uncle Thanksgiving? Fuck your MAGA uncle. Find your Biden whoa. skeptical cousin, right? That's who you want, right? Is your
0: Biden skeptical What if you're cousin. married? <laughs> what if you're Mike Johnson? What's your accountability <laughs> partner? Hey, uh, another
1: bonus. There's a lot of a uh, huge pool now of super well-informed Trump jurors. That we'll be voting for the first time.
0: Oh, wow. That's exciting. He's doing persuasion for us. All right. Before we get to break, just uh, one quick housekeeping note. In case you missed it, Love It Tommy and I wrote a book, and it's coming out June 25th, 2024. Guess what? I've read the book, people. Dan read the book. It's quite good. Thanks, Dan. Tommy's supposed to have a whole script here, but he doesn't have it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to read that. <laughs> so just... It's called Democracy or Else, How to Save America in 10 Easy Steps. And we uh, we just revealed the official cover this week. Was that a big moment for you? It Europe? is.
2: It, on every single book PR plan, the cover
0: reveal is a huge moment. <laughs> Step one is buying it because Cricket's donating the profits to support Vote Save America, its partners, and other organizations mobilizing for progressive outcomes in the 2024 election and beyond. Dan, you got any tips for us in uh, promoting a book?
2: I thought putting yourselves on Mount Rushmore as the cover art was kind of a weird choice, but.
1: <laughs> did we do that? <laughs> oh, no.
2: Tell me no me word. For a second. <laughs> that was yeah. a big mistake. <laughs> you, gave, you gave cover approval to love it, and uh, there we went. No. God damn it.
1: You <laughs> did do that, probably.
0: You're doing it right, people. Well, check out the cover now and pre order at cricketcom books or wherever books are sold. Exclusive signed editions. What? <laughs> just let's get through this are available from bookshop.org it's hard to believe but we're only one year out from the 2024 elections time flies when you're having fun and nightmares
1: we got some big plans to cover 2024 the presidential race the fight to take back the house and keep the senate state and local elections and what all of us can do to stay in the fight without losing our
0: minds a lot of you have asked how to support crooked and our mission and one great way is to sign up for friends of the pod friends of the pod is our subscriber community You get a ton of awesome content that's just for subscribers. You get to be part of our Discord, which is basically like a secret Twitter that's just for us. And by signing up, you'll be supporting Vote Save America.
1: Vote Save America has already raised $55 million for progressive candidates and
0: causes and signed up over 500,000 voters, volunteers, and donors. And we're just getting started. So please head to cricket.com slash friends to sign up for Friends of the Pod today. It means a lot of us to get to be part of this community with you. Next year may be a slog, but at least we have each other. And drugs is what it says here. (laughs) This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. This ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Okay, we're back. The third Republican debate was Wednesday night. It was hosted by NBC in Miami, Florida, moderated by Lester Holt, Kristen Welker, and Tommy's favorite pundit, Hugh Hewitt.
1: I mean, I could do an hour on that
0: guy. <laughs> I know. Why he should not be there. The debate featured Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, and Chris Christie. And it was two hours of what? What was that? What was that we just watched? I think we all went into this thinking this debate wouldn't really matter much. Anything happen to change your mind on that, guys? No. No. A
1: lot mm-hmm. of obscure foreign policy fights, which I enjoyed, kind of. Yeah,
0: Tommy was into it.
1: I was talking about boats and sanctions and getting my, uh, you know, jollies off, but no. <laughs>
0: you know my view of this debate was if we can just escape a second Donald Trump presidency, we're gonna beat a lot of Republicans all the time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> those people were whew not good. They were not good. I'm not I'm not afraid of any of those people.
2: The whole thing was surreal. It's, they all dressed up. They wore ties. The moderator showed up with serious questions on serious issues. And everyone involved knew that none of those people were ever going to be president of the United States. Ever. Like, they took time to ask them repeatedly with follow-up questions about the specific ships that they would commission in the U.S. Navy Whoa, if they spoilers, were president. Spoilers, skipping ahead. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> There's not a person listening to this who did, who knows not, who did not watch this debate.
0: <laughs> so- Thank God for Lester Holt and Kristen Welker. I think they were they have been the best moderators so far. I, I think they are both great, and they, they didn't.
1: And for anyone who's mad at the questions, I seriously doubt that they wrote a lot of these questions. I'm sure this was made by network brass and you know producers, etc.
0: But just in terms of controlling the audience, controlling the candidates, there was some clapping in this, but then they like Lester Holt kept trying to calm them down, and then they would really jump in when the candidates started talking over each other. Like I think they did a great job. Thank God for Lester Holt. He finally kicked off. A Republican debate by asking directly about Donald Trump and what each candidate would say to Trump supporters whose votes that they presumably want. And here's what we heard from uh, from Ronnie D. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. In Florida, I showed how it's done. One year ago here, we were want a historic victory including a massive landslide right here in miami-dade county so honestly for those who didn't watch the debate that might have been ron desantis's best moment <laughs> that and that that was literally minute two <laughs> yeah it <was> the top <laughs> had the it first minute one nikki haley complained about debt donald trump uh you know racking up debt and he said uh,
1: that trump was getting weak in the knees i think on ukraine on
0: ukraine yep and right. uh she said we can't live in the past we gotta look at the future Vivek went on this whole thing. We've become a party of losers. It's the establishment. He then called on Ronna McDaniel to resign as RNC chair, which, which is fair. Yeah, I mean, she's not done a great job. He
1: invited her to come on stage, which would have been a cool moment. He also said that Elon Musk,
0: Tucker Carlson, and Joe Rogan should be moderating. Oh, yeah. Then he also hit the moderators. He attacked Welker. Uh, he said the media rigged the last election. It was a whole fucking show Vivek. He, he
2: mentioned Hunter Biden's laptop within the first nine minutes of the debate.
0: And again, to Kristen Welker's credit, this—
1: ranting raving lunatic is screaming at her from the stage and she just smiled at him yeah she didn't and take he the looked bait. so small
0: and he wanted her to take the bait so yeah, badly yeah uh, Kristen and lester did a great job we should yeah, remember really that
2: these did. are also the first actual reporters to moderate a Republican debate. Yeah. I forget who the other
0: moderators They all were. work for Fox. Oh, yeah. Right. Christie talked about Hamas, Putin, all the, the, the world on fire kind of thing. And then he said Trump's gonna spend the rest of his uh, campaign in jail, or in courtrooms. Right, right. He said, well, why are we gonna nominate someone who uh, who's just trying to stay out of a courtroom Which for a year? Which fair point, sir. And then Tim Scott, who I, someone gave a tranquilizer to before the debate, was so slow the whole time. All I wanted to do was like speed him up the whole debate. Uh, And he's like, he's talked slower than he has in previous debates. It was really weird. But anyway, he didn't mention Trump at all. He pledged to attract independent voters, restore faith, Christian values, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I really tuned out a lot when Tim Scott was talking. So here's my question. (laughs) That was basically the only time that any of the candidates drew any contrast with Donald Trump. Again, the person who is leading in every single national poll and every single state poll, not by a little, but by 20, 30, 40 points, still. What was the strategy there? Was there a strategy, like, because I know these people people have high-priced consultants, right, they sit in debate rooms, they do debate prep, like, what are they thinking as they head into this debate?
2: I think what this boils down to is none of them think they're gonna be president. They're not trying to be president, they're not doing anything to ensure they be president. As best that I can tell, they like visiting Iowa and New Hampshire and spending as little time as possible with their families.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dan and I also share a theory that Vivek Ramaswamy started running thinking it would be great advertising for his like anti-woke investment ETFs and, and financial products, caught a little bit of fire in that first debate, and then slowly has been plummeting and doesn't realize yet that he's not got a chance. Yeah, maybe. So he seemed to be trying, but he was mostly, I mean, I wrote down a bunch of the text. He mostly spent his time attacking Nikki Haley.
0: He of all everyone on that stage looked like he's auditioning for something else for sure. Whether it's like a a being a pundit, whether it's like a a spot in the Trump administration, whatever. I'll try something out on you guys, and I think it's Dan. Your answer could be very correct here, but I'm wondering if they're thinking, okay, the only chance we have is if again Trump uh, dies, gets convicted, the poll numbers change, whatever, and in order to be the next choice, the the second choice of everyone in the Republican Party, I need to maintain my favorability rating by not attacking Donald Trump too much and also not attacking all the other candidates too much. I don't want to be too nasty towards the other candidates. And so that's why we got the sort of muddled mess. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think I think that is correct. But I think that's less about beating Trump in some case like sure if he were going Trump going to jail is not going to really help them since that is likely
0: to happen after the, all the delegates right. are allocated but I guess it's like what if he imagine a conviction in March right and he's already got a bunch of the delegates but suddenly how's he getting
2: convicted in March well the trial <laughs> starts, starts March at, 4th yeah, yeah so
0: maybe convicted in April okay, okay so he's convicted in April this is just a fantasy scenario okay it's well, let's, let's do it let's do it Sorkin and <laughs> Suddenly, the polls really change, right? We saw the in the New York Times poll, there's a bunch of Republican voters, bunch of voters who said, I would actually vote for Joe Biden if Trump gets convicted. And so we see all these polls change and all the Republicans are freaking out. And then one of these goofballs is thinking, this is my time. Sure. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I mean, they're, yes.
2: I think it is more about managing their role in whatever comes next in the post either Donald Trump wins and now you have to exist in Donald Trump's Republican Party or 2028 you, or 2028 and you're going to need Trump's voters. So you're trying to play out the string here, land this plane without lighting the rest of your political career on fire.
0: Yeah, it feels like if But it feels like that ship has sailed for DeSantis.
2: Well, I mean, kind he of. He still has very high approval rate, uh, favorability ratings among Republican voters, higher than Trump in most cases.
1: Yeah, he has high approval and he's got a ton of money and he's got a bunch of advisors sitting you know, around him saying, anything can happen, sir. Stranger things have happened. Donald Trump could get arrested. He could die, whatever. Like you could catch fire in Iowa, New Hampshire. I mean, so I, I did come away thinking that DeSantis really was campaigning for something tonight. I think Nikki Haley is too. I think Me Chris too. Chris Christie's on a mission, which is to attack Donald Trump and to get himself invited into green rooms from Washington to New York.
0: Well, I, even on that though, Save America. I would say that like, what was Chris Christie doing? Like, if you're on that mission, like he could have gone after Trump a little harder. Like, I actually think that some of his regular policy answers, uh, not to agree with him so much on domestic policy, at least on some of the foreign policy, like he sounded... Like the more reasonable Republican, for which sure. I think is is fine. That's just, I guess that's just who he is. But I was like, what are you doing up here? I thought your whole thing was like going after Trump. I think
2: he r- genuinely regrets not running for president in 2012, and he's just going to run that campaign. This is, just, this just, this is
1: 2012. It's like this is this what is he would like have fantasy done. camp. It's what he would have done. Yeah, the only person up there. I mean, like Vivek. Previewed with a reporter that he was going to act. What was the term? unhinged? Act unhinged.
0: Yeah, said he was going to be unhinged. Uh, well
1: done, sir. Mission accomplished. Nailed yeah. that one. Uh, Tim Scott was the only one up there who I kind of wondered if he was going to drop out of the campaign at, at a commercial break. He <laughs> just sort of like seemed a little bit lost. The go even the goatee was off. Like he he
0: seems like I, I don't I don't know. It was thing. really bad was a really bad performance from Tim Scott. He
1: seems like a guy who's probably fundamentally like a pretty nice person, and the world he's in on that stage is just horrible, and it must be very hard play-acting with those people. It was really weird.
0: But it wasn't even like he... Yeah, I just, well, enough talking about Tim Scott. There weren't that many fireworks between the candidates, except for the the uh, running, will they, won't they bit between uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. And here's, here's where it really got heated.
1: That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader
2: from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which Ramaswamy. case, we've got two of them on stage. Ramaswamy, thank you. I'd first like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um... <laughs> two this, of you on stage. The second there, thing so. that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. Ambassador Haley, well, she what is, is your take on more funding for Ukraine? I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to the see that. The fact it. of the matter is she doesn't answer the So this the question. is what I will tell you. We're driving Russia all, into China's hands. Well, because, well, because of you these. you had your policies. time to talk, the ambassador has the floor. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out your else. voice. You daughter. The next generation of Americans are using
0: it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the scum. easy answer. You're just scum. She called him scum and it just sort of was a it was a throwaway line at the end. I think Rivekeepers
1: he had a little moment in the first debate in the second debate i think almost everyone watching realized he has a repellent personality going after someone's daughter
0: yeah and on... we should give you the co- give everyone the context it was about tiktok there was like a, a back and forth about right. whether we should ban tiktok cuz tiktok's just radicalizing all of our children to become hamas so that was the debate and then he was like oh by the way you're you're tough on tiktok now but your daughter is on tiktok so are you vivek yeah anyway <laughs> it was really it was bad. He was really bad. Uh, she does
1: not like him. She does not like him. There were bu- there were a couple other like kind of opposition research based attacks that frankly did not land. Like Haley was attacking Desantis about some sort of Chinese plane manufacturing company in Florida. It was like she had clearly read. So deep into the opposition research file that she knew it backwards and forwards. But I guarantee you that no one listening had any clue what she was talking about. Uh, Haley attacked DeSantis about banning fracking. That might play a little bit. Again, yeah. Uh, Vivek attacked Haley about uh, attracting Chinese businesses to South Carolina and like sending some welcome message to Ambassador. But like it was not, most of those attacks were just kind of
0: confusing. But ha- Haley genuinely despises Vivek, which uh, I'm with her. I think it's
2: her most relatable quality. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Why she's had this boomlet. (laughs) I mean, the Haley DeSantis Vivek attacks are, it's just, it's all so poorly done. We've sat in debate preps before the research people come up with these hits and so often, they're so esoteric that the candidate cannot get them out with any context. Yes. You have no, yeah. the audience has right. no idea we're saying. And the consultant's like, do not leave that stage without delivering this hit. And they just, they it. Because vomited. in some
0: focus group somewhere, they tested it. And the hit was, people were like, oh, we don't like that at all. And then they make the mistake of translating what that focus group said to like a national stage with no context, yeah. right? It's
2: like they were fighting, DeSantis and Haley were fighting over a... Economic development official <laughs> who scrubbed a website got about more than China. Me. Yeah, I, didn't, yeah, I, mean, I, I just,
0: missed all that. It's
2: just—it's—it's it's just like everything else. It's low rent, poorly done. Yeah.
0: Can I just make a point about DeSantis too? He sucks. <laughs> His performance tonight, like, he probably had a better performance than he has in other debates, like, if you're counting points. But like, just the. Paint by numbers, consultant, stump speech, like every single answer. Like I realize technically, when you're prepping from someone for a debate, and like you're supposed to give the answer, you're supposed to give the topic sentence first, and then you're. But it was just so cheesy. Everything he says is so cheesy. I, like he sounds more like a typical politician than anyone else on that stage, or like maybe anyone in the Democratic primary in 2020, or anyone I've heard in a long time. He is a poor imitation of a typical politician. Yeah, it's like a character. It's not even like a poor imitation of Trump anymore. It's like poor imitation of any kind of politician. Yeah, it's but... a
2: poor, yeah, it is. It, it is embarrassing. The alliteration, the. Mm-hmm. From here to here, it's just oh, so oh. embarrassing. I'm closing? not in it for you. I mean, I'm not in it for me. I'm in it for you.
0: I'll take the hits for you. Yeah, he kept saying that. I'll take the hits. I'll take the slings <laughs> and arrows. What
2: hits? What is he talking about?
0: Really terrible. So the first full hour of the debate was foreign policy. Sure was. Gaza, <laughs> Iran, Ukraine, China, Venezuela, and just a full 20 minutes of discussion about boats. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, what'd you that? think? Can you tell us what what we learned from
1: that? Um, Neocon BC? <laughs> Did that work? When you write it down. Con BC? Neocon BC, like NBC. But Neocon? Oh, <laughs> oh God. God. Right, yeah, That's go. Speaks,
0: talk about things needing some context. Yeah, talk about, talk about <laughs> landing the plane. Yeah, who told uh, you how to get that hit in? <laughs> you know, uh,
1: so our good friends at NBC, the liberal media, spent a good 25, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, trying to push every candidate on the stage into the most hawkish position possible on a whole bunch of issues. We talked about the use of military force against Iran in retaliation for Iranian proxy groups. We talked about restoring sanctions on Venezuela and attacking the current Biden policy. Um, Ron DeSantis has a policy where he says he's going to send U.S. special forces into Mexico to attack cartels making fentanyl. And Hugh Hewitt's question to him was not, hey, you realize that's starting a war with Mexico, right? Or like, what's the legal basis for doing that, Ron? Or are you worried about the Mexican military responding? Question mark? No, it was how many, how often, what does it look like? And then Ron DeSantis says, we're gonna shoot them stone cold dead. Okay. okay. In the
2: face. In the yeah, face. in
1: the face. And then faux serious man, Hugh Hewitt asked the ultimate faux serious person question, which is how many Navy ships are you going to build like these? guys. And he did. Not,
0: every candidate got that question. Three hundred and
1: thirty-nine. He, he did not let them <laughs> off the hook on that one. He followed up and he followed up and he followed up. And then what's we with the boats?
0: Is that is there is there something we're missing here? Is, is there the, a background? The
1: Chinese Navy is building a lot of boats. That's the okay, whole so thing. Build, the China Hawks. The there's a boat gap. There's, there's a boat gap. gap. And it's silly because it's sort of a silly debate because there's these ship-killing missiles that kind of render the, whatever. This is boring. I'm boring, both of you. I've lost the room. Uh, no, no, I, I asked I the ship question, killing missiles fault, is the most Tommy. interesting thing Thank that's you. happened in this I podcast. tried to watch
0: this debate understanding and I couldn't. So this is why, I, this and is why then, we have you here on this show right here.
1: And then our China Hawk <laughs> friends are talking about banning TikTok, which we discussed earlier. Yeah. And then shortly after that segment, they went to commercial and we all suck some uh, TikTok ads. <laughs> so it's <was> full circle. <laughs> yeah, there,
0: was like a, there was like TikTok grandmothers and a couple of yeah, other TikTok like a ads. A young woman who started a restaurant maybe um, with family. Yeah, I, I, this is when I and now I remember this is when I thought Chris Christie was being responsible because mm-hmm. they were all competing to see who could be the most bloodthirsty. Yes. Uh, about like, I'd tell Bibi Netanyahu to like finish them, finish them, flatten finish them, them, finish and do them do the, like them. just yep. see who could be the toughest there. And then who could be the toughest on Iran? And then who could be the toughest on China? And like Christie was definitely Republican tough. Like if he was debating some Democrats, we'd all have some critiques, but he didn't, it, it, I was, Happy that he did not go there. John, uh, Vivek
1: Ramaswamy said, I would tell Bibi Netanyahu to smoke those terrorists on his southern border. I'll be smoking terrorists on
0: our southern border. And then he was like, but we need to end these endless wars in Iraq right. and Afghanistan. He tra- really tried to, right. to smoke uh, them if you got them. <laughs> uh, and then
1: ri- and Tim Scott was talking about
0: blood dripping from Obama and Biden's hands. Yeah. He said he he, he he talked about blood a couple times. Tim yeah, Scott. It got weird for them. It's so there was a section on the economy where the only policy solution they had for inflation uh, is to uh, drill more and frack more. That was basically it. Yeah. Uh, even though we're like at the we currently producing more energy than ever before, most of them want to raise the social security retirement age. Uh, no disagreement there. Uh, and then they finally got around to a discussion on last night's election result and abortion they all tried to avoid answering uh, whether they'd support a national ban with the exception of Tim Scott. He advocated for a national ban. He played Mike Pence because Mike Pence wasn't there. What'd you guys think of all the answers around abortion in light of uh, last night's election results?
1: Well, I mean, it, it seemed like most of them were trying to avoid coming out in favor of a national abortion ban because they know it's horrendous politics. I mean, I guess Ron DeSantis is already completely <laughs> on the record about his six week abortion ban support in Florida. But then I believe it was Vivek, or no, it was uh, Tim Scott challenged Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis on the 15 week ban. And Haley ended up saying, I would support anything that would pass.
0: Yeah, but she's like, let's be, this, she likes to use this line, like let's be honest with the American people, but I don't think we, we whatever we have 60 votes in the Senate for, because she's a yes. filibuster believer, I guess. I,
1: I remember watching her uh, CNN town hall with Jake Tapper a while back. And she definitely struck a more reasonable sounding, moderate sounding position on abortion. But it kind of felt like she undid it in one second there by saying, I would support anything that would pass. Maybe she said that before, but the context here was clearly a 15 week abortion ban. And if I were running a campaign against her, say if I were Joe Biden, I would use that clip as my evidence that, of course, she'll put in place a national ban.
0: Yeah, she said it before. It's very Weasley. I think she's never been put on the spot like that. On trying, because she's done the like, I'll sign whatever comes to me kind of thing. But obviously, Tim Scott pushed her on it. Yeah. And, you know, because she wanted to just get away with her initial answer, which was like, I ha- I don't judge people who are pro-choice. I hope people don't judge me who are pro-life. I think we need to find common ground. Ball. But then it's like, yeah, but if you got a national ban, you'd sign it. And she's like, oh, I'll sign whatever comes to me.
2: Well, what she did first is she just like turned it into a punch bowl correspondent and was like, well, there are only 45 pro-life senators <laughs> and therefore can never pass. It's so her argument is it's a stupid conversation because it could it will never come to my desk, which yeah. is very weaselly. Don't get me wrong.
1: And then. <laughs> And then Vivek's like speaking as a man and I've been told that men have trouble speaking about this. I'm going to dance around the issue for the next 45 seconds and not actually answer your question as far as I can. Tell he he you actually
2: know, did one say thing like men have not had trouble talking about abortion. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. the problem. He was right. like he was yeah. like
0: he's like we're all in this together, men and women. Why are we? and I was like oh, are we?
2: <laughs> I do think that Nikki Haley's answer about not judging people who are on the other side of the issue and not pushing people is the sort of rhetoric that Republicans could adopt to sand down the edges somewhat, somewhat. I think, as we've seen from the results from the election we talked about earlier, there are real limits to that. But that's the first time someone has actually tried out different messaging that is trying to be more accepting of difference. And there was a long time, not all of it was great, where Democrats were constantly reframing their language, particularly in the 90s with Bill Clinton around making our position on abortion seem more appealing yeah. to a series of anti-abortion voters who would otherwise support Democrats. There are a lot of Catholic voters in Pennsylvania that, whose votes Clinton got. And now you're seeing the politics have shifted, Republicans trying to do the opposite.
0: And I think that for DeSantis, too, it, it wasn't going to work too well because no. he obviously signed a six-week ban and he's trying he was trying to do tonight the old some states are doing things differently and it's bottom-up approach. Right. I mean, then he said the word referenda a bunch of times. So many times. <laughs> Chris Christie's like, it should be decided by the states. Clean answer.
1: Got it. Vivek does the, I'm going to pound my chest and answer it as a man and not answer your question. At least Nikki Haley enters the answer as a human being. She says, my husband was adopted. I had trouble getting pregnancy, so I understand that these are sensitive issues. Now, listen, as, as someone who comes from a family where you've had struggles getting pregnant, that would lead me to... Uh, allow people to have the freedom to make these choices themselves, but she went a different direction with this. So I mean, yeah. de- like human answer in the start, horrible uh, policy outcome, but uh, I still think better than Tim Scott or Vivek probably or Ron DeSantis. Well,
0: and I also think that uh, there was a point where language around this was important. That point was long before Dobbs. And now Mm -hmm. Dobbs has made it so that like, and this is where Nikki Haley ran into trouble. It's like, you're either for the national ban or you're not. I don't care what your language is. I don't care how accepting you are. I don't care whatever else you either want to ban abortion or you want to make abortion available. And that's really, and, and voters get that. That's what we saw on Tuesday night. Absolutely.
2: And if Nikki Haley were to ever actually becoming a threat to become the Republican nomination then she would get really pressured. She's under no pressure now cuz no evangelical leader cares what she says because she's not going to position implement those policies. Yeah.
0: So then they did their closing statements, which why do they do closing statements? They were all this boring is the There's nothing except Vivek really went off. <laughs> He ended by saying, we must end this farce that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. He needs to step aside, end his candidacy. He's a puppet for the managerial class and just let Michelle Obama or anyone else, whoever's going to do it, run. And it's like a very, it was wild. People online were saying it's a very, um, it's like a, it's a very QAnon thing. Oh, that makes that sense. That Joe Biden's just like a puppet is gonna step aside and they're gonna send out send out Michelle Obama or whoever else. It's a real
1: Yeah, he's just sort of like a walking Twitter reply guy. He he also yeah. called He replied to my tweet tonight. Oh, okay. really?
0: Yes. <laughs> nice
1: man. What yes. did you
2: tweet? I tweeted I didn't realize on the heels thing that he had said, and we have two of them on the stage. I didn't So catch I, I said was his, uh, his attack about a dictating in three inch Hills about Haley or DeSantis? Thinking I was making a pretty clever yeah. DeSantis. Yeah, we uh, all left in
0: the here in the studio. And he responded both. Yeah. Ah. Now
2: obviously thirsty. It was, it was not. It was not Vivek himself since it was during the debate. You don't know that. I mean, he could have had his <laughs> phone number. Just take us <laughs> Just
1: firing away. Uh, he, he, Vivek also accused uh, Biden, I guess, for the United States of quote celebrating a Nazi in its ranks, a comedian in cargo pants, Zelensky in the context of talking about Ukraine. Again, he's calling a Jewish president in Ukraine uh, a Nazi. Really? That's just a shockingly weird thing.
0: So that ended. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Florida, (laughs) Donald Trump held a rally because why the hell would he be at that debate? Uh, And here is some of Trump's speech. We haven't heard this clip yet, so I'm excited.
2: We have him coming in from jails, from all of the places that you wouldn't believe mental institutions my people said please don't use the term insane asylum that's silence of the lamb right silence of the lamb." <laughs> hannibal lecter anybody ever heard of the wonderful hannibal lecter we got him coming into this country now
0: you are doing like a vp search so that's the guy that's winning oh my God. by a lot but you're probably going to be the nominee uh and he- <laughs> Any final thoughts on that? <laughs> that
2: guy is up in five of six swing states, according to the New York Times. Oh,
0: my God. Uh, the Trump
1: team put out a statement saying something like, when President Trump was in Florida, having a street named for him, Governor Ron DeSantis was being paved over at the debate, which I thought, look, yeah, they're, they're that's funny.
0: That's, it was pre-written, but uh, was, um, accurate. So, well, that's all we got today, guys. Well, we time had a, well we spent for everyone. We had a great election and a terrible debate. A terrible debate. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you can't ask for much more than that. And Trump's skipping the next one. And Trump so, is skipping the next he announced one. announced tonight. So there we go. We're not going to get Trump in a debate until, we can all do until the fall. Let's all skip it. Let's all see. <laughs> we'll see. Thinking. Yeah, we're, this is content. <laughs> you can hear Elijah screaming. All right. That's our show. We'll be in New Orleans Friday night. And then you guys will all hear that show on Monday. So we'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our producers are Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producer is Farah Safari, writing support from Hallie Kiefer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer, with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGroat is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolles, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly Lobel. Subscribe to Pod Save America on YouTube to catch full episodes and extra video content. Find us at YouTube.com slash at Pod Save America. Finally, you can join our Friends of the Pod subscription community for ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and a great discussion on Discord. Plus, it's a great way to get involved with Vote Save America. Sign up at Crooked.com slash friends.